0: This is episode 258 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast.
1: And now a word from our sponsor, Control & Compound. Here's how infinite banking works in under 60 seconds. You have to save your money somewhere. Well, we think the best place to save it is inside a cash value life insurance policy. You save some money and it grows tax-free for the rest of your life. Then an opportunity or emergency comes comes along. Let's say a few years down the road, you can buy a business, buy a property, buy an income-producing asset. You leverage the infinite banking policy, borrow against your asset, take advantage of the opportunity, but your money still stays in the infinite banking policy. You're not borrowing your money. You're borrowing the insurance company's money. So your money's in the policy. It's in the opportunity and it's providing a death benefit. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. You get to retirement you have this massive cash value, life insurance, leverage that tax-free and you don't repay those loans. You sit on the beach and you spend that money tax-free every month doesn't show up on a tax return and you leave your family a huge tax-free death benefit. For
0: more information, visit www.controllingcompound.com
1: forward slash Andrew
0: Hines. Welcome back to the show. Today, I have Erwin Zito and Andrew Kim on. Erwin's been on the show many times before, so if you're curious about his journey, please check out some of the other episodes, because on this episode, we really focused in on uh, what Andrew Kim is doing in his company. He's a very accomplished real estate investor who's established over $10,000 a month in uh, monthly cash flow, which we didn't even get in in this episode we more sort of talked about the US strategy why do it um, what Andrew's doing in the US as his uh, asset manager business that he runs and uh, kind of dug deep on that and this all really stemmed from I bumped into Irwin at Costco one day and he mentioned to me that he didn't think people should be buying in Ontario anymore which I thought was a pretty dramatic shift for him because he had been exclusively Ontario for so long and really not interested when i was talking to him about the u.s stuff i mean of course interested as a curious person but um, not really interested in doing it for himself and then all of a sudden something switched for him and obviously it's similar to what switches for a lot of other people not liking the landlord tenant laws um, in ontario the value's not working the numbers not working and kind of looking for a solution going to a different place so Irwin's hot on the us he partnered up with uh with Andrew Kim, and wanted to bring him on the show to kind of share his story. So the two of them came on, we had a discussion, uh, and this is one of more one of those more passive investing type of plays. So a lot of times like passive investing is things like investing in private mortgages or private REITs or other private equity funds where you're not directly owning real estate, but you're sort of indirectly owning real estate sometimes depending on what you're invested in. But in this case with uh, Andrew Kim, that is, uh, he actually acts as an asset manager they work with property managers throughout the u.s and uh, they basically help people get into cash flowing turnkey sort of passive investments and if there are renovations to be done they sort of manage that through the project or property managers so it's kind of unique because you get an opportunity to be more hands-off than i think i've ever really heard of as a real estate investor now this is in theory i can't you know say it it works out in practice that way it sounds nice um, returns aren't astronomical by any means, but uh, there's a lot of potential for growth and we work through some of those numbers. I think there is a good potential to get it into the high teens while owning real estate. And then, of course, you know, depending on what you believe will happen with appreciation long term, um, it could be much more than that. Uh, obviously, that's the, the nature of investing is, is there's certain things that we just can't know. Um, so with that said, I think you're gonna enjoy this episode and it certainly is a different flavor. Um, just before we get in, as always, it's, uh, it's a new year and I wanna ask you to please take a moment and show some love to the podcast. If you haven't already reviewed it, please just take a moment, pause, and uh, give us a five star on Apple Podcasts, uh, five star on Spotify if you listen there. Um, just help the podcast grow more. Um, I've got a very niche following on this show. And uh, you know it's it's kind of tough times with real estate investors, so there is there is a little bit of a shift in the amount of interest, uh, and I want to keep it growing. And uh, if you're enjoying this uh, show, I ask you please support me in that way; Uh, it'd be greatly appreciated. So, with that said, let's jump right into the episode. I will see you on the other side. Hello, and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I've got many time repeat guest Erwin Zito on, as well as Andrew Kim.
2: Hello, we're just meeting
0: for the first time. Thanks for coming over. Um, all right. So this is a different episode. We don't do a ton of the, uh, the, the two people uh, episodes, but uh, it's always fun when we do. You just had our first threesome today online. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we Adrian... might have to retire that expression.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Hines and John Schwenker were on my podcast virtually yeah. for the first time. So it's the first yes. time I had two guests. So for
0: Erwin's first two, two guests episode we'll say it that way two two in one day (laughs) yeah yeah it's a busy content day for me so Um, but anyways yeah so so it's good to have you guys here my understanding is that we're going to be talking about U.S. investing uh, under an asset management company so a little bit of a different uh, approach in my initial assessment from talking to you Erwin is this is this is sort of the uh more passive play of owning individual properties. You still get to own the properties, but you're a lot more hands off, a lot
2: more turnkey. Yeah. Definitely. So, uh,
0: Andrew, why don't you just uh, tell me a bit about yourself? Because you've obviously not been on the podcast before. I haven't heard your story.
2: Sure. Yeah. You know, I actually don't formally introduce myself as a real estate investor. I'm more of a tech entrepreneur, but I've always known that real estate was a very much a stable passive asset class. So um, professionally been in the tech space, uh, building technology companies, uh, built and sold my last one in the Valley, um, and Silicon then Valley, Silicon Valley, Valley. Ah, Valley. yes, okay. <laughs> Silicon okay. Valley. And then, uh, you know, share is my, uh, next technology company in the real estate space. But I got into real estate investing back in 2010, um, Ontario, uh, Barry and Ajax. And then when I moved to California and got Introduced to the U.S. single-family rental market. That's when uh, I sort, I you know, vacated Ontario, and we can go into deeper details later, and started investing in the U.S. Um, and then have kind of grown slowly my portfolio over the years. Um, so share is the intersection of my passion of technology and real estate.
0: Yeah. So we'll talk to you a little bit about your specific real estate investments, like what type of stuff. So you said you were buying stuff here in Ontario.
2: Yeah, I was trying to chase that Burr model um, back in 2010. Late 2010, when you could get a house in Barrie for like two hundred thousand or under, and then Ajax around the same, just a bit more. Um, around that time, beating up like foreclosures, a lot of heavy lifting. Um, and then I thought I was okay at it, but then turned out to my account that I wasn't that great at getting cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of my foray into it. And then in the U.S., single family as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just
0: single family homes you've been buying down there and they do cash flow, but not as much as you wanted, or it was working and you wanted to scale that.
2: So it was kind of working, but like I was self managing them and I was, you know, that this was supposed to be passive for me um, and it was taking a lot of time and effort, especially if I'm like on the west side and then I got to go to Ajax or Barry for any issues or find contractors. It's kind of tough and I, I really didn't have the tools necessary. I was kind of going in there blind when I get into something, I just kind of go full steam ahead and realize I made a lot of mistakes, could have spoke to more people about how to go about doing things. And yeah, didn't. I ended up netting out some cash when I sold them. Um, but on the cash flow side, it was probably a bit negative every single month.
0: Yeah. Okay. So what are you doing now from a real estate investment standpoint? Is it just share like the model with asset management or are you doing your own personal stuff as well?
2: Uh, all my personal stuff now comes through share. Okay. Um, so um, I originally, you know, when I first moved to California, like 2011, started buying in St. Pete, Petersburg, Florida. Okay. Um, that point you could get something in a single attached around 90000 to 110000 Ah, oh,
0: the glory days that I should have been buying in Florida. <laughs> I know another guy who started buying right around then and just like changed his whole life. He was a financial planner here, moved down there, just started buying up everything 10 cents on the dollar. Oh, uh, like
2: if I would have just said, just deploy more, do more then mm-hmm. that would yeah would have completely changed the trajectory of my life for sure yeah it's crazy like
0: the lesson i should have learned more you know deeply ingrained is is the effect of credit on real estate how much of a difference it makes yeah yeah what what an opportunity that was i don't know if we'll ever see an opportunity like that yeah
3: and the dollar was near par yeah the time when you started yeah exactly yeah (laughs) (laughs)
2: yeah Yeah. And, uh, you know, I am I kind of feel like that's the sentiment in general now. It's like mm-hmm. you're always like now is going to be the cheapest time to buy potentially for the next 10, 20 year outlook. Like in 20 yeah. years, 10, 20 years, you're going to be looking back and be like, I should have bought more.
0: Yeah. Like, well, we we're talking about ca- off camera, you know, do we think we're at the bottom? And like there's certainly arguments for that. Yeah. But the more people talk about the interest rates coming down, they kind of push the prices back up and make it less likely that the interest rates come down.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's interesting. I think like the higher price point homes, for sure, the bottom, there's still a more likelihood that the the bottom could go lower for higher price point homes. And I speak in generally like in the US side, like the major cities where you're like New York, San Francisco, LA, which more like. Two x the national average. I feel like there's still an opportunity for prices to drop there, right? Whereas um, the investment asset class, which is at or below that national average, they're a lot more resilient because you typically can get an owner occupant and then like a retail Mm -hmm. investor or an institutional investor, so it kind of holds the price points pretty strong.
3: So for so Andrew, it's funny because he says he doesn't consider himself a real estate investor, but he's because I know Andrew, he's he's more. (laughs) more successful real estate investor than most people I know <laughs> yeah I mean, he did as a side hustle truly passive yeah hasn't seen any of his properties <laughs> yeah yeah
0: well and we're gonna get into that so so that's a good segue because everyone I don't mean to neglect you here that's okay. uh sitting over there wearing your USA jersey uh, so <laughs> I'm gonna give before you do uh, so I've known you for I don't know quite a few years first we met in like 2019 I think uh, so you came on my podcast then and I- i've known you to be a guy that you know you're you're fully into what you're doing and you're very enthusiastic about it so <clears throat> i've talked to you about the u.s many times and oh that's interesting that's interesting and then one day i <laughs> see you in costco so i don't think anybody should be investing in ontario right now
2: <laughs> <what>
0: <laughs> i'm like something's changed with erwin um, and uh, sure enough you're, you're all in on the u.s and um i think that uh that's interesting to say the least so Why don't you tell me about that? Uh, First off, give a little bit of a background, what you do, your story in real estate, you know, your podcast host, just for people who haven't heard the other episodes.
3: Okay, so I've been a landlord since 2005. Yeah. I've owned over 40 properties personally. Uh, I'm a realtor as well. So we've had over 350 clients. My team has transacted on over $440 million worth income properties. Uh, Done a lot. Hosted. Two major conferences. Yeah, you hosted Grant Cardone. That was cool. I've hosted Grant Cardone. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. Uh, podcast is uh, usually second to yours. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> great, great podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I get great guests like yourself on my show. And uh, yeah, I'm, I've been again. I my current. I currently own ten properties in Ontario, and I'm kind of sick and tired of it. Actually, a friend of mine uh, said he, the analogy he used was he felt he's been feeling Ontario has been in its ninth inning of real estate for a long time. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh wow, that's a good way to put it, and that's kind of how I feel as well. But I'll add to that though is that uh, it, like all these things are being stacked against us as well as Ontario landlords, mm-hmm. the LTB, because even before the pandemic, LTB was still it was bad. It, it just, was still bad. It just really emphasized how bad it was, right? Yeah, but hang on, yeah. it was three, still three to four months to get a hearing. Yeah. Versus, Andrew, what's your experience to give? If a tenant vindictive, not purposely doesn't pay rent. How how what is what is your experience
2: from when we're gonna act to say okay we've got to replace this tenant? Ninety days we'll probably have a new tenant in.
0: Oh yeah, and south of the border. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. North of the border. I mean, I I've heard recent stories of a year like that. That that's very common. You could have somebody, that scares me. You could have somebody keep you a full year without rent. That that's yeah. your asset. That's yeah, your imagine. investment. Imagine you were one of those investors who just wanted to dip their toe in, you buy your single rental property with your life savings from work. you have you know break even cash flow on that property, but it works while it breaks even and then all of a sudden that disappears and now you're carrying two mortgages on on the same income from your your job. like for some people that will end them. like they'll yeah. they'll, they'll go be go bankrupt. Now of course, you know you hope that they can sell the place and whatever. but uh, yeah, that is scary. that's
2: it's like i'm going to invest in rsp but we're not going to actually give you full control over when you can look like yeah
0: (laughs) i mean it's it's nonsense and i I was just talking to erwin about this on his podcast but i mean you have to get a risk premium to deal with that Mm -hmm. like so that's the way i look at ontario i'll do a deal here but i need a risk premium right a good one (laughs) right
3: (laughs) the thing is i think i can get the upside the same upside in terms of appreciation equity gains in the States, but you know, I was looking at, uh, I was looking at San Antonio, for example, Mm. I can buy a thousand square foot detached home for 200,000. Yeah. And what would a, what would a single family home rent for in Austin, sorry, in San Antonio? Well, at the 2000 range, you're probably
2: looking around 15 to 1800.
3: Getting closer to the 1% rule.
2: Yeah.
3: And a single family home. So it's plus utilities.
2: Plus
0: utilities. So they pay their own utilities. And it's
3: vanilla lending.
2: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly.
3: Versus, you know, to get anywhere near that, I need to do student rental here or mm-hmm. I need to go like triplex conversion or... Yeah, like
0: how's that look? Is, is that cash flowing um, for like a Canadian to go and buy something like that through your asset management company?
2: Yeah, so you, it, there's so many different capital stacks that Canadians are using, like different vehicles. Some are using yeah. cash and HELOC and HELOC yeah. and TEP. But um, if you're gonna come in with the traditional investor loan that we would yeah. find you, you'd probably come in with your 30 to 35%. 35% down. Yeah. Yeah. And that's typically like the first time requirement as a foreign national yeah. is a bit of a higher down payment. Okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's common. And then, yeah, you'd probably get some cash flow positive. Okay. Yeah. Self funding the renovations, too.
0: You got to self, so self fund the renovations and then refi after a no burr.
2: Um, we would do out? the refi in probably two to three year time. Oh, okay. Yeah. The appraisals are a bit tight. So, so
0: you, as the asset manager, would you head that process up?
2: Yeah, so we follow your interest rates. You know, we'll know what you kind of debt stack you came in with, and then right yeah. now we're modeling most of our clients for three year yeah. refi. Yeah, I
0: like that terminology. You only hear serious real estate people use the debt stack <laughs> terminology. I don't even use that.
2: I don't. I didn't <laughs> until I met my business partner. He's an institution guy.
0: What's our debt stack look like? All right, so let's let's run run an example. So give me a you know middle of the road property that you have access to right now.
2: Okay, so let's call it a. You know, uh, Memphis, Tennessee, 150k home.
0: At okay, 150. Okay, and uh, what would something like that get in rent? Around 1400. 1400. Okay. Um, Ballpark property
2: taxes for something like that. Oh, that one taxes. I'm still turned around on taxes, um, but I would say like I could probably back into the cap rate. If you guys use some cap rate, yeah, sure, we can. Okay, what do we like? That would be a seven percent cap rate.
0: Seven percent, yeah. In a single let's, family home, yeah. Let's just let's just put a number in here.
2: So yeah, that's like a thousand fifty.
3: For, for high level though, there's no state tax, so the property tax is typically higher. Just just yeah. when people when people go back and look at the numbers, it's different. And when I say no state tax, I mean no state income tax. Mm-hmm versus here in Canada, we're in Ontario right now, we pay uh, an income tax to Ontario, we pay one to the federal government as well.
0: So to get a 7% cap rate, you'd be looking at about a 35% expense ratio on operating expenses. Sounds about right. Sounds about right, okay. So that would include for anybody following along, your insurance, your property taxes, no heat or anything because they're going to pay that. Yeah, themselves. utilities are usually ten. Yeah, so really Probably
3: just a little bit of heat. We're talking about Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, they didn't really need much <laughs> more air conditioning. Um, <laughs>
0: any other expenses they would have? Like they're going to have a property. Yeah, the
2: PM and is rolled is, is rolled. So then that's
0: all in that thirty-five percent. The PM yeah, and asset management is covered yeah. in that.
2: Like cap rate is typically pre pre asset management. Rate. Yeah, because that's not related. Yeah, to the, but the, uh, the PM management. is in yeah, there
0: included that. Okay, so then you said we're gonna get typically sixty-five percent loan to value on a first mortgage mm-hmm. with what kind of amortization?
2: Thirty-year fixed. Thirty-year fixed. What kind of interest rate these days? Uh, right now, probably high sevens, around like eight. If you want to kind of be real All right. we'll, conservative. We'll be side.
0: Conservative. Yeah. Okay. So at eight percent, that's a seven hundred dollar payment.
3: So there's like
0: a hundred and seventy bucks cash flow left over. Yeah, sounds about right.
3: Yeah, seven hundred bucks though. I want to put that on my credit card so I get the points oh the mortgage payment
0: yeah Yeah. i mean that is like compared to mortgage payments in ontario these days uh seems quite low Mm -hmm. um looking at that number i mean obviously obviously it's a much lower investment so somebody to do that deal is going to need to come in with about like 50 some odd yeah north of 50 yeah like fifty-five thousand. ish yeah yeah and that covers the, cause there's a fee for you guys to find the property, right?
2: Yeah. So we take yeah, three percent or seventy five hundred dollars greater than okay. two. So you
0: find you find the property that'll
2: work. That's yes, basically and then exactly. and you already have
0: a, a property manager that you know can do it. And so where do we build in? So out of that hundred and seventy one bucks, is your fee gonna eat up the rest? Um it's gonna eat up a chunk of it. Yep.
2: For sure. What's your typical fee for this? Um probably anywhere from a quarter percent of the house price to a half percent on uh 150
0: like so one time on that annually annually oh okay so just whatever the price is worth
2: yeah is it it
0: always based on what it was purchased at or is it
2: it'll be purchase plus reno
0: yeah purchase plus reno so on this one at 150 it needs a reno as well
2: yeah so you'll probably probably look at like on that case we'll just loosely say like 10 grand 10 grand so you got 10 grand Mm -hmm. on
0: top so then you're looking at more like 60 i guess after the reno
2: 65 yep
0: somewhere in there so at sixty-five in, let's see here. I'm just gonna put in the total investment at sixty-five thousand. Okay, so now the question is, like, what do you figure? Like, we're obviously questioning: Are we at the bottom? You know, what do we expect real estate to do in the longer run? I mean, is it safe to go back to thinking two percent over the long run on an annual basis? That's where we kind of mark the
2: yeah. the one hundred and fifty k homes at like two percent. Yeah, you figure two percent a year
0: yeah i mean there's there's money there um it's not huge yeah is there other ways to
2: to kind of win on that well like what we're gonna do is like pretty much unlock that on the refi so we'll still recoup like 60 percent of your down payment at the time of refi okay and then so you think
0: the 10 grand that you put in there that forced appreciation is actually better than just adding 10 grand in value
2: yeah yeah so like we'll get and like again this is a higher than normal down payment just to get it to cash flow positive yeah um, so once we go out and refi, we'll probably recoup like 30% of that roughly. In
0: that you, have okay. you been doing that predictably over the last couple of years?
2: Uh, yeah, pretty yeah. much.
0: So if this, if they're in for 65, they might get 30 back yeah, probably and then we'd be down to 35. So if you come back down to 35,000, then it'll start to look like a 17% return on yeah, the money and in. The cash flow still ticks up every
2: single year. Cause, of Cause the you're expecting rents pricing. to keep yeah.
0: going up. So yeah, that my spreadsheet doesn't yet build that in. I could build a more sophisticated spreadsheet to add that in. Um, but yeah, so you're gonna have a, an increasing. So once you get up to like say $1,500 a month, you know, then you're gonna be a couple hundred bucks a month in cash flow t- 260, I got here, and
3: uh, and the number goes up. The rents go up.
0: Yeah, yeah. Over time, you'd expect the rents to go up. I mean, I. It's interesting because the U.S. they don't immigrate people like we do here. You get a lot Legally, of immigration. You get. In migration to yeah. certain areas, and then you get, of
2: course, illegal yeah, <laughs>
0: immigration. Yeah. The legal immigration, what they can track, so? <laughs> yeah. yeah, what they can track. Um, is that is it even possible for like illegals to end up renting or not no, really because they wouldn't pass the uh, crash unless checks. they've got
2: legal papers.
0: Yeah, they'd have to. They'd have to. Get yeah,
2: there's yeah. a lot of like yeah. tools and yeah. background check op- options for yeah. landlords over there. Yeah.
3: So what do you think? Like, oh, sorry, Andrew. Just before I move on yeah. from numbers, uh, like when I'm running numbers like five, like five year, for example, my mm-hmm. like cash on cash returns are like over 5%. Even after a five taking, year? Yeah,
0: because yeah, exactly. I had the cash on cash just around three and a half, but obviously not including rent increases, not including getting that money back. Like once you get that money back, it's going to improve it significantly. Then I got cash on cash almost 10. Yeah. Like once you get
3: to the, the, re, the refi point. Which is better than any bank stock.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I think the big thing here is like, most people don't have any time to do that kind of thing. Yeah. That's why it's supposed to be a passive investment. So you're you're obviously going
2: after the people who want something a little bit more hands off. Yeah, that's exactly it. like yeah. our clients are high, like high strung, pretty busy professionals that mm. literally like it's a very specific profile. They they yeah. have zero time, but they've got cash.
0: And yeah, that's that's a great profile to to work with. Yeah, because <laughs> they're going to let the expert do the work, right? Yeah. So so you guys kind of bring that unique value proposition, and that you're you're gonna go down there and do it all. Like yeah. you're gonna even arrange the refi, which I mean, typically, I don't think anybody, almost anybody's used to that kind of service. Not unless you're invested into a REIT or something, right? where they do all that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, we're that's tra- the beauty
3: of Share, yeah. is yeah. you're basically investing into a REIT, but, but you're directly owning. You're directly owning, and Share's not taking a percentage. Yeah. yeah so this is outside. a lot like the joint venture model, mm-hmm. except these guys mm-hmm. are way more, have way more uh, yeah. experience and background. Mm-hmm. And again, they're not gonna take a percentage.
2: (laughs) Yep.
0: Yeah, I'm just gonna calculate so I I forgot to do this number earlier. So if it was one fifty acquisition or say one sixty including reno, that'd be four grand a year in asset management fee. Does that sound right? Uh that's way too high. Did I do that wrong? It's around half a percent. Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, okay. Four hundred a year. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So what's that work at? on a monthly basis that's 33 bucks a month so it's not huge it's not going to rob the cash flow yeah 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 you still have your cash flow so it's not a huge cash flow but i think that you know people in the the demographic you're describing like they probably don't need a ton of the
2: cash flow but they want their something to be growing as an yeah basement. like these are those are, would be what we classify as like a cash flow heavy home Okay. um but yeah we we all know that this in this higher interest rate environment it's, it's definitely tight but like yeah. there we're, we're all saying if it can cash flow po- we can make it cash flow positive today mm-hmm. then
0: if bond rates keep coming down if, yeah. if rates keep coming down then then that'll allow you to potentially refi exactly and then you
3: these, can lock it in for 30 years well, the, well yeah the
0: 30-year <laughs> edge is, is incredible right because like you know at very least your interest rate's not going up yeah. like yes the market interest rates could go up but if anything, that's a good thing for you because that's just gonna drive rents up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so if they come down, then you'll refi and lock in. So this is one of the best things about investing in the US compared to Canada is like in Canada, you every five years, you've got an opportunity to lose your home, right. <laughs> depending on what happens, depending yeah. on what happens, the interest rates in the market, right? Yep. And also a prediction, and not that I like to make these predictions, but I think that if, if you had to pick one of the markets to have room to, to fall still, it would be the Canadian market because of the mortgage renewals. Mm-hmm. Because 25% of those mortgages renew every year into higher rates, causes people to consider listing their property, causes uh, inventory to spike. The offsetting factor, of course, in Ontario is the immigration. Right. So who knows where we land? That's why I always just talk in circles of what could happen. Yeah. The competing forces.
3: <laughs> yeah, and even you know, Pierre polyberry came up with his, his debt detonation uh, uh, video just just last week. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's seen it it's it's already gone viral like oh, everyone, really yeah there's I'm sure he's gotten a million views across his platforms and that got me thinking again because I've been worrying about this for a while is you know the Americans have had their financial crisis yeah of two thousand seven to twenty ten yeah we never had it
0: no, we didn't really, and now Canadians look a lot more similar to what Americans look like then with the household debt and and all that so. who knows yeah it's it's really tough to know again like there's just that wild card is the immigration side of things if we didn't have that all we would already be done we'd be cooked yeah Yeah. so that's that's the fact that that could actually still just push values right back up Mm -hmm. it could still happen and you know that that would basically just effectively remove investors from the from the market because why are they going to do it and except for your larger institutions that can afford it and they don't mind they're they're looking way long term right and, and know it makes sense i don't know um so, what are your thoughts on on the U.S. market? Like, what do you? What areas do you like? What areas don't you like? Um, what are you looking for? And what services are you offering? I know that's multi-part, so we start with the first.
2: Person. Yeah. So, what areas? So, we typically go around the Sun Belt, to all the sort of the southern states across the, yeah. from east to west coast. Um, typically, they're you know red states, landlord friendly states, mm-hmm. uh, tax friendly states, and then some of the Midwest, Kansas, Missouri, Ohio, um, mm-hmm. those types of regions. Yeah, we see. You know there's a lot it, un, like in the US, there's a lot of institutions in the single family rental space, and you know we're using a lot of the same data points and uh, research that they're using. Again, there's a lot of population market growth, economic growth, and we follow those types of trends. Yeah. The ones we're kind of tiptoeing around now are um, Nevada, Arizona, and Florida uh, for de- different reasons. So Nevada, Arizona, they they have uh, had a bit of a price adjustment. Mm-hmm. Um, so just tiptoeing around them um but in a good market we would be all in on those two states um and then florida for the fact that we can't predict their insurance rates in the next like three to five years so that's a big huge variable for us to be able to underwrite yeah and and what's
3: your own experience with insurance
2: (laughs) you love bringing up my insurance rates, so people um, love numbers like like numbers i know yeah they do Mm -hmm. so um We we are active in Florida, and if clients want us to find in Florida, we'll we'll go ahead. But my personal insurance rates have gone up, um, for some of my homes around seventy percent this year. Yeah, on the new rates. Yeah, is that the flood insurance portion, or is that the so that's so all sort of levels have lifted. So the the way some of our insurance provider provide um, categorize, they have like different tiers of risk. Um, and yeah. for the longest time, it was just a tier one risk that was was ticking upwards. Yeah. But now, all the rest of them have jumped up seventy percent, so they've now yeah. come closer, and the the gap between tier one and tier three and five really okay. tightened.
3: Because you, would your Saint Petersburg properties be lumped in with around Tampa? Yeah, Tampa so is is a lower, a lower risk. risk yeah, right?
2: so that is where you, we saw seventy percent lifts.
3: So, so yeah. wait, so historically, Tampa's been considered low risk, and now it's being lumped into high risk. Well, it's not that it's lumped; it just the rates that's have now caught up, up. Yeah. so the rates the they're same as high up. risk yeah they're yeah. catching oh, up mercy it Sounds yeah. like there's no hiding well i had like
0: one quarter on on like because the houses before they sold i had to insure them myself after the construction was done and you know anywhere from two to three grand per quarter uh, not including flooding there's no flood policy for that like that's not including natural disaster that was just uh the, the insurance portion right so you had to buy flood insurance separate but i we we were out of the hundred year floodplain with what well, we actually literally built up and built out of it. Mm. So uh, didn't take that endorsement, but yeah, it can be ugly. I have heard
2: of people having grandfathered policies there that are quite cheap still. I don't know how that works, but yeah, I can't imagine that if, if things go in the direction they're going that mm. whoever's offering that will probably have to have to stop. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that hurricane there and
2: Cape Coral hurt things. My properties were okay, but I mean, yeah. I think my, my insurance rate took a hit yeah uh, over it i feel like it's very relative like for people who live there they're just yeah it's okay you know it's like i got a new it. roof it's
0: yeah great. it's just part of yeah. it they're used to it right that was a very odd hurricane though yeah. the way it came in and you know turned directions it doesn't really happen very yeah. often so once in 500 years they said for for cape coral you know how it hit there yeah <laughs> like we were right
2: in the eye of the storm with that oh, wow. so. yeah it's, it's just hard. harder for us because yeah. like we, we try to give you that institutional no, grade and that, and it does version. make it tough like so do you yeah. need to i don't really think florida
0: makes that much sense for uh, a long-term rental anyway mm-hmm. I, it's more of a short-term rental market like, It commands short-term rental pricing especially if you, you know get down into naples and stuff you're going to pay big dollars but you're going to make huge money mm-hmm. on those mm-hmm. properties um but I think yeah there's there's a lot of other states. Like give me an example. So Tennessee you'd be in, like
2: Yeah, so yeah, so the other ones uh that were really bullish on Texas, Georgia, Carolinas, uh Tennessee. Carolinas are blue though. Uh, Aren't they? Uh, I think purple. Purple. Yeah, purple. yeah, maybe purple. Yeah. But like yeah. I, I still think that like even yeah. the blue states are still better, well, they're off better than Ontario. <laughs> yeah, they're still <laughs> like, better than Ontario. You're still I mean, staying heard, out of new
3: york city California. yeah yeah you yeah, stay yeah. out of new
0: york, the cities right like i've yeah. heard that new york state is not bad
2: like, yeah i know people that have i've got, got, I've, um, got propr- I've got property in upstate new york yeah, yeah but he's nice. never seen before yeah
0: landlord tenant issues no
2: <laughs> no definitely yeah. not i
0: bet you you're still like way better than ontario
2: for, yeah like, yeah 100 percent, 100 like whenever there's an eviction it, yeah it happens
0: ohio is the one people sing praises of because it's like so quick to evict there yeah. same with florida very quick to evict
2: yeah like we look at ohio as like sort of your cash flow friendly states Mm -hmm. um but you know the hotter states like the texas georgia um like the sunbelts we like those because the appreciation value as well oh yeah you're not really going to get the appreciation in ohio right yeah we mark those up at like a two percent sort of modest appreciation whereas some like parts of atlanta and some parts of like dallas you're getting like gta type or greater toronto area type appreciation like still now uh well in historically yes yeah, yeah yeah
0: hi friends i just wanted to take a moment away from the episode to tell you about my brand new structured coaching program this is the first time i've ever offered a structured coaching program where we'll have regular meetings in addition to an intro call uh, to go through what your goals are and help you get on a plan to achieve those goals within real estate so if you followed me for some time and you feel that i would be a fit for you to help you achieve your goals in real estate based on my skill set based on the topics we cover on this show I encourage you to head over to my website andrew hinescom forward slash coaching and fill out the questionnaire so that we can schedule a call and figure out if it's a fit for us to work together. Let's face it, most people could benefit from a second set of eyes and ears going over their strategies, different deals that they're looking at, and helping to springboard ideas back and forth. This is a program that's exactly for that. So if you're looking to build confidence in what you're doing in real estate investing and get very clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish, this might just be the program for you. Take a moment, fill out that questionnaire and let's schedule a chat. Okay. So yeah, Ohio is, is a higher cash flow state. That makes sense. I, I've got some experience in Ohio and I know like that's what draws people there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what do you, what do you look for when you're picking like a city, a state? I mean, obviously you're looking at landlord friendly. So let's say, you know, you've picked some states that you think work. Yep. Now what's, what are the macroeconomic indicators that make you like that market, Things you want to avoid tell me about it
2: yeah so we typically look like we pretty much know which metros to look at because again the job growth is always ticking upwards employment yeah. uh, population uh, price points uh, that's one of the reasons why i think we kind of got out of nevada and florida is the price points were going up so aggressively that it yeah almost, outpacing job growth yeah and yeah and then the cap you got some cap rate compression there because yeah. of that so get, are there are there key metrics like is there a, a rule of thumb so to speak so like you would just kind of back into sort of average rent rate and price points. Um, so we do sort of a, we've kind of outlined a metro and then we go into a zip code level when we find a deal. Right. So we'll, we have like filters running and as they come in, we'll look at a zip code level, what type of uh, average household income, price point, unemployment, all of those types of micro details. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, if you know, we don't feel comfortable about what the rental rate will be in that specific zip code and that ensure that the household income is kind of ticking up to the right then we will kind of shy away
0: so is there a job growth number say for instance like a percentage growth rate that that you're looking for
2: yeah there typically is um and it looks probably as in terms of in relation to population growth as well um but that is the area of my business partner the head of investments he looks at all of that has his industry sort of best practices yeah oh, i'd love
0: you. to i'd love to hear him yeah lay it all we, we may be able to book him for this show
3: yeah, yeah. We. yeah like, like for example uh dimitri like, yeah. you're talking about him and i were talking about austin texas for example mm-hmm. so some basic stats on austin is i believe it's growing twice as fast as the state average of texas mm-hmm. and four times the national average in terms yeah. of population Right. And that's a that's a period of 2010 to 2020. Mm. So that's even before so is the, the po- pandemic. So the
0: population growth is outpacing the real estate
2: value growth. Like that will, like I think each one in relation to each other yeah. is sort of the different profile of home yeah. we go after, whether it's appreciation or cash flow. Yeah. So he could give you sort of the lay of the lands of the different yeah. dials he'd look at for dialing up and down. Yeah. You're
0: going to get, I, I mean, I would think you're going to get more appreciation. I actually had a guy who's just like an analytics data guy come on and he, he talked about some of the metrics and, I, and some of them are a little foggy for me that's why i was asking maybe you could refresh me but um you know for sure i know that job growth is a big one i'm sure if that's outpacing uh, immigration that's going to be a positive yeah um you know, there's going to be several other things where you could just reason your way through, oh, that's going to have a good effect in the long run.
2: Yeah, like yeah. population and job growth are typically the two top ones, mm-hmm. like in general, if you want to like take a very loose approach. Yeah. The thing is about the job data, it's like becoming harder to analyze because the people are working remotely, moving inland. They could yeah. be living in Austin, but working for yeah. a company out of Silicon Valley. So that one's becoming a bit of a different um, pace. So now that you roll in household income and that sort of changes the land.
0: Yeah. So you're you're saying that you have to rely more on household income as a as a metric? It,
2: uh, you
0: look you want to look at
2: all of it. Yeah, you want in, in relation. At yeah, yeah. But before, like, mm-hmm. data was like readily readily available. Yeah. Um, the way it is right now in the U.S., but you know, the two safe ones were yeah. job and population.
0: What do you what do you look for as like a red flag for an area?
2: Rank control, um,
0: <laughs> Rank control. Rank control be a part. Is that is that even a thing outside of the major cities like New York?
2: Uh, not really. I mean, if there is, it's like you can't raise yeah. it above like ten or fifteen you know percent. Yeah, it's mean? it's reasonable. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, for me, red flags are you know, downward population. Yeah. So, like, at Cleveland. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is uh... uh, I don't know if Cleveland is, but yeah, like there are certain parts of like upstate New York, there are oh, certain yeah. ticking downwards, okay. but you know, the demand for rental is still there, shockingly. Mm-hmm. um so
0: well that's that's the risky game right if you go and buy at those markets like you almost have to just expect that you're you're making
2: your money from the cash flow and that one day you're gonna yeah, sell the 100%. asset at a
0: major loss
2: yeah 100 yeah. or like the exact same price you bought it 10 years later yeah uh, at most. well i
0: bought one in in uh youngstown one of them i had to give away because it got destroyed but the other one they, they were cheaper properties like around 15 grand or whatever but uh you know the one of them i after title fees and all that, I mean, I think I made 7,700 off of it. I
2: $15, I've never, dip- I've never dipped down my toe there yet. I think my, my cheapest one was like 45,000. You know what? Like you could do Youngstown well, but it, you, know, you,
0: you need a full out business to yeah. operate there because it's like a wasteland. Right. No offense to anyone from Youngstown. I mean, it's got some <laughs> nice places, parts to it, but it also has some serious problems. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's yeah, tough. So typically probably avoiding places like that. Yeah, we say there's a time and place for every type of real yeah. estate. But definitely if you're trying to dip your toe, for a beginner, do not go into. Those yeah, that's areas. A,
0: it takes you can make money in those places, but you got to have a yeah. really
2: honed in strategy. Those are like for mm. rounding up your change, right? Mm. your your cash flow that you've accumulated. And yeah, you kind of forgot that was there. It's like, OK, let's go deploy that
3: Yeah, for my own investing, though. I, I prefer as little risk as possible. Like I want like, for example, I don't gamble. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And if I do take a bet with someone, I want everything in my favor. Yeah. So I know we're talking about Ohio, but for example, like demographically, Americans are generally moving south, Yeah. right? Just for the weather. I think we'd all, as Canadians, I think we'd all take that option like if we to could, south, yeah. yep. right? So when, for example, when I was looking at um, Columbus, Ohio for investment versus like Phoenix, Arizona, I, I use those as an example because both of them are getting a semiconductor plant, a brand yeah. new one being built, right? Yeah. Um, the one in Arizona is, is Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corp. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be like four thousand jobs, right? Uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Columbus is getting one from Intel, around four thousand jobs as well. Yeah. So if you have the job skill to work at either plant, yeah, you're going to want to go to Phoenix. This not no, it's not even close. Not even close.
0: Except unless you're looking at like what can I buy a property for in Columbus, and you say, oh well, it's far more affordable. Yeah. We can have a better. Yeah. A better lifestyle there mm-hmm. I, I don't disagree right um, from I, my I early research tough though
3: for my early research i think i think uh for a home that a start a pretty nice home mm-hmm. is like low 300 for columbus mm-hmm. and i think i might have to pay 400 for that in arizona okay right so it's not it's a not massive delta yeah right but again i don't even have to go there i yep. can go to like dallas who's yeah. getting a texas instruments plant yeah. right and i can probably pay i can probably buy a house for like 250 Right, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah texas is the interesting one because the price points are still quite low relatively property taxes are quite high though
2: property taxes are real high um yeah. i mean the price points are going up we're not like we would look at the f- probably 300 price point range yeah. in dallas um for class like b and a product mm-hmm. um, but we still think there's a lot of upside there and the COVID just sort of drove that upwards everyone's moving out of you know california and
0: yeah a lot of people like flocked to the uh, the red states yeah uh just to kind of get out
2: so yeah. that obviously had an effect on those places yeah and uh but even like economic fundamentals are all there the job growth and everything else is going like it was there yeah. prior to the covet
3: yeah
0: and- it's it makes sense that texas instruments would manufacture in texas
3: <laughs> <laughs> nice to hear that i think it's their third plant in dallas so they're building yeah, yeah. I would have assumed that they would have
0: a strong a, a plant in Taiwan or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: By now, yeah. Well, that's the funny thing: the Taiwan's company is building in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. But it make but it makes sense, right? You would want to diversify yeah. some geography away from China. <laughs> yeah, onshore
0: a little bit, just yeah, just in case. Yeah, you never know what what might be coming down the pike. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So to recap, we've we've talked about Texas, the Sun Belt in general. So you said Georgia, the Carolinas.
2: Um, what about like Virginia, West Virginia? Uh, there are options. We don't typically look there. Um, I, I remember Dimitri giving me a reason, but, uh, it it escapes me now.
0: Those are bluer states as far as I can recall.
2: Yeah. I think for the most part, all of the ones on the Sunbelt are still rather like landlord friendly and again, even
0: if they're blue. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like we said, like you're still, I still consider
2: it. Um, what about getting into, um, like Section Eight or anything like that. Have you guys looked at it? I so interesting. I got a very different perspective of Section mm-hmm. Eight versus uh, my head of investments, Dimitri. Uh, I've I own a handful of Section Eight. I think you got to find the right ones, the right neighborhoods, and the right tenants, and yeah. the right partners that have deep expertise in Section Eight. Yeah, doing Section Eight yourself as a newcomer, don't even try. Like, yeah. So, what's your like? Who, what's your team look like for that? How yeah. You so, doing? you want a property management company that is absolutely solid and has like a good portfolio of Section Eight yeah, that's tenants. What do. Yeah, because yeah, then you know there's a lot of upkeep there and a lot of um, control levers of the yeah. program that they have to be on top of. Yeah. So, um, just to kind of give you a Section Eight primer, there's a lot of um, the government gives them a coupon to. Uh, which is essentially like a subsidy to pay the rent. They enlist their own tenants that have to apply for Section 8. So they do their own individual screening, but they also do the screening on the house. And they want to make sure the house is kept to a certain standard. So like from an owner, you're like, okay, this is great. I don't have to worry about the tenant because there's a third party and everyone's trying to get on that Section 8 list. So, Yeah, they don't know, want to screw it up. They don't want to screw it up. They yeah. want to stay in there. They want to stay long term, hopefully. Because they're basically getting free rent. Yeah. But well,
3: then uh, you know, the average subsidy is about seventy percent
2: of the rent, yeah. which is yeah.
3: which is enormous. Yeah, it's yeah. not
2: it's massive. So those and um, you know the, it's almost like a self governing system. But then you worry then where Dimitri's counter argument is like from an appreciation or rent growth perspective, you can only be throttled. You could potentially be throttled mm-hmm. by the Section Eight office, and then the appreciation potentially. You know everyone invests yeah. in these neighborhoods with. The hope that, you know, it'll come out of that sort of Section 8 classification mm. and it'll become like the next Hamilton, I guess, yeah. right? Like that, you know, you win the lottery. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if if not, then, you know, the appreciation kind of gets stuck and then the Section 8 um, person that you're working with gets out of control and says, you have to fix this, 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 and this, and this, and to stay part of the section eight program. And now yeah. your are renovation budget or R budget just runs right through the roof. Right, okay. Just trying to make so a list. good property
0: manager that yeah, can, that so can that, vet that.
2: Yeah. And yeah. like, they also have relationships with mm-hmm. sort of those offices. So they, yeah. they can un- kind of give you the better underwriting and assessment of that particular section eight office. But. So is this through your company through, uh, i learned management? i learned prior on my own well mm. through a property management company that promoted section eight yeah. uh but right now through share we don't like promote section eight we can do section eight we yeah. just because of our clients uh, now we're getting a lot of new clients new investors novice yeah. investors we're saying kind of shy away from section eight for now let's get you something more stable something less risky that way, we don't sort of taint our relationship from the onset. And then, yeah, actually because you don't want them to have a
0: bad experience. With yeah. That.
2: And then, yeah. you know, as we grow this relationship yeah. and get you into a stronger appreciating asset, then, you know, we'll round up. And we have to be mindful most of our investors come from the major metros of North America. So you're talking Toronto, New York, San Francisco. So they're accustomed to higher price points. Mm. And, they prefer safer investments. Yeah.
0: Well, there's a certain comfort to investing in something that's so low
2: priced to get into. Yeah. And right? when you see pictures, you're like, how is they, that possible? Yeah. And oftentimes yeah. they'll be like, you know, I wouldn't live there. It's like, well, this isn't an investment prop- property. But yes, I totally get it. If you see some of these houses, you'll be like, okay, I don't want to be that owner. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that's so, fair. Yeah.
0: Um, could you walk me through? Um, so, well, you told me the states you're in. Um, like how would it work if, if somebody wanted you guys to like asset manage and find them a deal like what does that process look like
2: yeah so a couple of you know it's creating a free account on our site we do an intake form on the type of home type of funding um, that you might need and then we probably do one to two phone calls on identifying your buy box which is essentially the profile of home appreciation versus cash flow price point and then work in your financing strategy are you using a cash HELOC? Or do you need us to help you get financing? We'll put all those numbers on paper for you, mm-hmm. um, and then if you're comfortable with those types of returns on a ten-year basis in our strategy, then we start searching for you. Um, we'll mm-hmm. help you form your entity in the U.S., and then we turn on our search, which goes through on-market and off-market deals. So on-market mm-hmm. being anything on the MLS, Realtor, Zillow, and then off-market, we work with a lot of institutions that are offloading portfolios or mm-hmm. uh, large wholesalers, and then. When we see a match, we we underwrite it, uh, send it to a local agent and PM to double check it, put in a contingent offer, and then once that contingent offer comes back, we present it to the client. If they like what they see, then we send in a scope team to the third-party inspection, renovation team, and our PM, tighten up all the numbers and assumptions, change our performa to be as accurate as possible, and if they like it, then we go to like a 30 to 45-day closing period.
0: Okay and like you're always here in Canada like you have a US team that's
2: that's doing all that yeah like my head my CFO she spends 60 plus percent of her time in the US uh but for the most part um we are a Canadian team just professionally we've all been in the US real estate market mm-hmm. uh and we're we're physically here uh my myself and my head of investments we go back and forth but all of our sort of operating contractors are all sort of dispersed throughout the states okay
0: so you're obviously like if somebody signs up for that, you're only um, circulating them offers or, or, or options that are within the areas you're already established. Yes. You already have the connections with the, the property management. Uh, so everything that is, is it like they're dealing with
2: somebody in your Canadian team the whole time, or there's somebody in the U S uh, just us, our Canadian yeah. team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, the partners we have, they're huge. They're like multi-state operations, typically like property managers. Yeah, you know, okay, tens so, of thousands of doors. So you've got easy expansion with them. Yes, yeah. yeah. So you know, they're I think at least in five states minimum. Yeah, and yeah, we you know they're they only service large institutions. And what what kind of uh, rates are, like property management rates? rates yeah, are, so anywhere from five to eight percent of gross okay. rents. Yeah, and it's they're like I like i try to express this a lot but they're like again they're for institutions they wouldn't take like walk off the street one yeah. or two homes
0: yeah especially for like a single home or something like yeah. that yeah they're not gonna like that yeah much okay so they just know they, they deal with you guys so they basically just deal with you the asset manager yeah so they, the rents all go to you and then you guys exactly. distribute the rents
2: to, to right. the owners Pass through
0: that so that's why that's why they're willing to do that otherwise if they had to deal with all the different investors they probably
2: yeah. wouldn't be keen. yeah like we're probably the smallest client on their list whereas yeah. their next biggest client has yeah. like a. 50,000 homes with them how many homes do you have with them um we have well, depending on which regions we have you know as little as 40. oh like in one region yeah okay so what do you have all throughout the U.S. right now um well we're over I mean we're just shy of 800 now just shy of 800 yeah. okay
0: and how long have you been at
2: it uh just two years just two years
0: Interesting. What were the first few conversations like with that? Hey, we're about to get this going.
2: Are you in? Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that was not. Which which with the institutions or the PMs? Well,
0: you with the customers,
2: the PMs, like, I mean, yeah. did you have people asking you
0: for it? Hey, we want to invest in the
2: US? Yeah. So originally we were like buying these homes and then selling them once they are turnkey with tenants in place. And then now, um, you know, it was, Interesting because that was pre interest rate hikes, mm-hmm. and we were selling them, and we were just like, "Hey, look, you can get U.S. real estate for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and it's the equivalent of like a Richmond Hill home, and you don't have you can be a landlord without being a landlord." So it was like a big long sales job, right? And then interest rates went up, and yeah, it was just more of like be a landlord without being a landlord, and mm-hmm. get it at a fraction of the price. You can buy in Ontario for a million bucks, or you can yeah. buy for a quarter million and be cash flow positive.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's huge. Just being able to be cash flow positive. I mean, obviously you got to come in with a bit of money there, but once the refi happens, you can get that cash on cash looking a bit better and, and then hopefully it gets better and better as the rents go up and all that. And there's
3: a huge disparity in risk in a property in the Sunbelt. There's no, there's no basement. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go below zero. So your pipes don't freeze, Mm -hmm. right? Like for me as an investor here locally, my first thing to do when I'm in a property is go look at the basement i I'm looking for all, I'm looking for all the risks. Yeah. Right. Water damage, busted foundations. So you're staying away from the hurricane states. Oh yeah. Stay, yeah, yeah. Staying away from basements if you can. Because I think all investors should take that approach. Cause I mm-hmm. started from top down. I asked, as was playing with chat GPT. chat GPT, Where should I be looking for investments based on these criteria? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, like assume I'm Warren Buffett, for example, mm-hmm. where would Warren Buffett be investing? Right. Assume I'm Peter eye right. Where where should I be looking for residential real estate investing? Yeah. Right. And so then that highlighted almost all the exact same cities that share is already operating yeah right so I'm just like I'm getting multiple levels of, of uh, confirmation yeah our mutual friend Hussein owns a lot of property in the states too so he's not a level yeah. of confirmation yeah and we'll
0: never know every property he owns
3: <laughs> just comes
0: up casually hey I'm looking at something in this state oh yeah we got one there <laughs> not, not just one <laughs> he's got a story for almost every state you could mention um uh, yeah very interesting guy he's been on the podcast a few times yeah. for those uh, who want to check out those episodes Hussein Kudrati
3: and he told me you gotta go look at Memphis, Tennessee. I'm like, okay, yeah. Andrews from we'll figure Out a road trip to Memphis, yep. Tennessee. Yeah, we'll <laughs> well, down, that'd man. be a
0: great place to just visit in general. But yeah. yeah, I mean, Tennessee, like people sing its praises from a from a landlord friendly standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly, I had a, a data guy on the show, and he said uh, he doesn't like um, Nashville right now. Didn't say not in general. He just said because there's so many new units coming to market mm-hmm. right now. The supply is going to be too much, and it's going to affect the appreciation potential.
2: Yeah, it's a pri- like Nashville's like your prime prime area, so like that's a very expensive area.
3: It's an expensive area yeah, already, so. and
2: it's got a lot of new inventory
3: coming. Yeah, so that is. About, I, I yeah. think it's generally common among a lot, almost all the yeah. Sun Belt states that we've been mm-hmm. talking about is that the the multifamily is they're they're quite overbuilt. It seems. Yeah, but it'll catch up. It'll catch up. So it's up. all
0: based on when they're they're coming. Like so, he's paying attention to when the units will be ready. And I mean, like you're saying, like there might some of those. It might be like 2027 where they're kind of going to be ready. He said, so a place like Nashville. He said, don't don't get into it until after 2025. Hmm. Uh, I just found
2: that interesting. That's something I got to dig into. Yeah, a bit more. like Nashville, we wouldn't touch Nashville because like
0: just the, the price point won't work. It's way too
2: high. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So fair. So you're just going after like what's your max price point across all of 400. it? Four
2: hundred. $400. 400. Yeah. So
0: that'd be, that'd be more like Houston prices
2: or something. Oh, uh, no, you get Dallas, like Dallas prices. Yeah. Too. And then, like, in Atlanta, 400,000 would get you, like, on that premium, like Oakville or Richmond Hill home.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at suburbs of Atlanta. Uh, sorry, suburbs of Austin for, like, yeah. 250, 300.
0: So you're thinking sell off the portfolio here, Erwin, and just sink the money into
3: this kind of thing? It's funny because when you introduced me, you are saying like you're, you're all in. Like I wish I could sell everything here, but the tax implication. Like I yeah. just sell it all at once, but so I'll be slowly selling. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but again, like, uh, you know, I think you, I don't – for my portfolio the way it is, the the uh, upside is not worth uh, what I can do elsewhere. Yeah. I'm just frustrated. I'm just frustrated. Well, like,
0: if you, you had to look at the return on equity, right? Like what's your equity today? And how are you returning on that? And I don't think a lot of investors really look at that. And that's one of the things that dri- drove me to, to just liquidate what I had in Florida. My return on equity was negative. So, okay. That's no good. Mm-hmm. There's no, no sense in crying over, oh, values used to be up here and now they're down here. Well, yeah. what's my return on equity right now? Yep. Uh, if I don't plan to stay in long term, then might as well just exit. Yeah. I,
3: I, but I find most investors still need to understand what is in front of us long term. Yeah. Like pretty much every level of government's against us. Yeah, on the local level, I think I think nine of our twelve city councilors are anti landlord. Yeah. Our mayor is the former leader of the NDP. You're referring to uh, <laughs> Ham- specifically Hamilton, Hamilton yeah. specifically Hamilton. Yeah, uh, but you know, I've been to St. Catharines for a long time too. They were they're so anti investor. It's not even funny. Yeah. Right. So again, I've all these headwinds against me. Uh, yeah. You know, um, my insurance is up five hundred bucks a house for my student rentals. You know, uh, two of mm-hmm. my properties in Hamilton they fall under rental licensing. So that'll be that's another six hundred bucks a month a year sorry that yeah. I cannot recoup right so again, like the business case isn't there mm-hmm. yeah right and like the, the running joke now I kind of have with people is like with an investor like you had your spreadsheet was for one year I tell investors show me your pro forma for an Ontario property for five years ten years, yeah because I know your expenses are going up, but you have rent control
0: yeah. Right. Unless you can get the, those tenants out, right? Or do some well, What's sort that going to cost you? <laughs> or do some sort of other strategy. Yeah, exactly. It's got to be other strategy? Yeah, strategy. yeah, more creative strategy. And they, they still are there. There are still are oh, approaches. Yeah. And more sophisticated investors will do those.
3: I don't know. I was yeah. talking to John Swinker today. I think I'm going to Ellicottville. Yeah. I'm doing an Airbnb. I'm not <laughs> staying in Ontario.
4: <laughs> there are, like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, there's so many reasons to look, look at the U S like you don't have to,
3: but it's not that hard. You don't have to, like, for yeah. example, if you, if you're like a very active, you know, mm-hmm. your team is wonderful. You're great mm-hmm. at flips, then that generally yeah. has to be closer, mm-hmm. right? I get that. But again, then you're still talking about huge price points.
0: Yep. Right. You can flip at a distance. I'm always amazed at this, but you'll see this with Americans too. Like they'll invest all across the U S. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, oh, why not just own in your own backyard? Oh, we just, we set up teams. We, you know, I flew to the city once and we mm-hmm. met a bunch of people and mm-hmm. they just start
2: doing it. Yeah. Out of state investing is more common than yeah. sort of out of province or country. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They just, the mentality of Americans, like in general, like their entrepreneurial
2: spirit is just like, it just makes Canadians look. I mean, Not if you look sure. at all the laws for <laughs> capitalism, it <laughs> makes sense, right? Yeah, like it's...
0: yeah, it's it's a playground. If you wanna if you wanna go into business and you wanna you know you wanna drive things forward, that's that's the place to do it. It's so. Easier
2: to create that snowball,
0: I think so. Yeah, that's one of the one of the things that attracted me uh, to it down there. But I mean, for me, more than anything, like I think it just makes sense to have some stuff out of the country because it is a political hedge. Mm-hmm. It's a hedge against. What if canada gets even more crazy than it is right now
2: yeah uh,
0: i uh i would love to not have all my eggs in that basket yeah and uh, for me I'd, l- I'd love to have more out of the basket than in it and uh yeah so that's sort of the mentality i've been uh having anything you would like to share that i didn't ask you today like i know i kind of just asked what was on my mind but
2: i mean i th- i'm going to actually defer to her one on this one because yeah. everyone seemed like so for context, you know, majority of our clients were, were American and then about 70-30 and then 30 being Canadian. And recently we just and I know probably next to nothing as a real estate investor in Ontario. Yeah, which just, is hilarious. Yeah, which yeah. is absolutely hilarious.
3: So our conversations were like we both look at each other like they have we have two heads.
2: Yeah. And like I learned all my Ontario real estate investing sort of best practices from just our short conversations. <laughs> So after I met Irwin, he's like, you have gotta, you know, you expand in Canada and go after the or Ontario landlord. So I'll ask Irwin, you know, what what do you feel we should be talking about?
3: Uh, I generally find, including myself, I was was incredibly ignorant to what the American what what was to invest in what it was like to invest in the U.S. So for example, when we went on we went we went on a trip to Atlanta, I was talking to to our property manager there. They own they manage. Eight hundred houses,
2: twenty-eight hundred, not Zip Code. I just yeah. forgot the digit <laughs> two.
3: Twenty-eight hundred houses, mm. just in Greater Atlanta. Only single-family. Oh, only single-family. That's home. crazy. Yeah, That's absolutely crazy because that scale doesn't exist in Canada. Like nobody does that mm-hmm. across the country, unless it's our, unless they're a major institution. Yeah. Right. Um, why is that? Why is that? So I think people need to Canadians especially need to understand why is that? It's because to, so just from my own research, because Americans aren't afraid of the tenants. Versus listeners of the show who are Canadian are likely afraid of their tenants, or people who are on the fence. Yeah. They're like, tenants trash properties; they don't pay rent. Blah blah blah. Yeah. And again, speaking to the American property managers, like your property are like worth a million dollars, and the tenants don't have to pay your rent. Yeah. And it can take you a year to get them out. Like they're looking at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. I'm like, oh god, damn it, am I crazy? <laughs> or that they have to pay property manager Canada's fees. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Canada's crazy. In oh, I told I yeah. said the property managers as well, like. Like, uh, in my experience, most property managers still charge here locally. They still charge if you're vacant, mm-hmm. not this not the case in the States. That's like, that's culture. That's like, that's there's that's table. This, yeah. It's that's just standard. That's the standard in the States. Nope. I've never
0: paid vacant, but I I've heard of people doing that. Is that common in the Hamilton?
3: You don't need, even if you want to argue with someone, Who yeah. else are you going to go to, yeah. like, for example, you were a London investor. Yeah. I went to school in London. Mm-hmm. And as long as I've been a real estate investor, there's no de facto property manager, property management company you want to use in London, Ontario.
0: Oh yeah. I will say like I bounced around from a few and ultimately ended up exiting from each one of them because they weren't satisfying what right. I was after. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up self managing because right. I wasn't satisfied.
3: Because it's an impossible business to be in.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's 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 um it's a dog's breakfast to be a, a property manager in, in a place like that. Because you know that, yeah, all all your landlords are going to be very razor thin profits. So they're going to be on you about your fees and and their expectations are going to be through the roof. Get me the highest rent. And mm-hmm. I know because I was the landlord that wanted the highest rent. Mm-hmm. You could have rented it out for more. It was part of why I ended up self-managing. Uh, whereas you wouldn't necessarily need to do that in these cities because yep. there's cash flow built in. It's there. And then when the rates go down, if they do go down, there could be even more cash flow in mm-hmm. in
3: there. Yep. Yeah. So, um, and then in the alternative for a Canadian investor who w- wants something a little more boring, something mm-hmm. that you know, something for the long term. Yeah. Like, say, say, even someone's a flipper here, I, I like my flipper, flipper, friends. I say, like, you pl- if you got, for your long term investments, you probably want them here. Yeah. You can just do something b- easy, boring in the states, mm-hmm. and, and uh, if they're a share client, again, like kind of like the worst case scenario is you have a new tenant in ninety days. Right. If you have a bad yeah. tenant, you have a new paying tenant 90 days
0: yeah right that's a hell of a lot more palatable than a right. year yeah. potentially and the mentality is different right like the tenants here they know they have palatable. all the rights Yeah, a, a lot of them not the students though students are still gold in my opinion in my experience but uh but not down there in the states right they, they yeah. know you don't pay you lose your house yeah so they're gonna pay yeah so. cool well uh if somebody wants to know more if they like You know, if they want to explore your process and what you have uh, as an opportunity, what do they do?
2: Uh, You know, they go to our website.
0: I'll just put it in the the (laughs) Yes, (laughs) let's do that. (laughs) I think you sent it to me. So yeah, Yeah. create free
2: accounts. You can look at some of our past and sample properties and play with the calculator and get a sense of type of homes. But that's not all of it. When we work with each client, we send them like dedicated homes just that match their buy box so no one else sees.
3: So cool. I've, I've booked a call with Dimitri now, uh, who's Andrew's partner, chief investment officer. And again, so uh, take a step back. Dimitri's mm-hmm. worked on the team that assembled a portfolio of 20,000 units in some yeah. states, right? For context, yeah. like Grant Cardone, who we can all agree, appreciate is an expert in, multi, in multi, uh, an expert in multifamily. Yeah. yeah. He manages, his assets under management is 12,000 12, units. 12,000 units. So Dimitri's yeah. worked on 20,000. Yeah. And he's been Andrew dimitri's been on boots on ground in all these mm-hmm. cities so i'm like i'm like dimitri you tell me <laughs> where yeah. should i be buying
0: <laughs> well if you could set up a, a show with him it, it might be good to just do like a pure data show like have him on rei hot seat and we'll just talk data and and how how the hundred percent you probably like that
2: yeah he would love that <laughs> yeah yeah that he's was... bid up he's bid against grant cardona yeah. on, on a few deals so
0: yeah that'd, be... that'd be super <laughs> interested and i think i think that would be a, a better fit for my youtube show where we just we just dig into it we could do some yeah. screen shares and stuff and um yeah i'd love
2: to do that yeah yeah we, we've come to zendy i think we're good so all right
0: cool so um for anybody watching this make sure you are subscribed to my rei hot seat channel as well and uh you can catch that episode when it comes out when when we can set that up yep we'll stay tuned uh but thank you very much for doing this thanks for having me erwin thanks for coming over yet again uh we will keep it on a yearly schedule i'm sure and uh cool we'll see you guys soon Thank you. Thank you. And now a word from our sponsor, Control & Compound.
4: Infinite banking in under 60 seconds. We've all got to save our money somewhere and we think that a high cash value life insurance policy is the perfect place to save it. Why? We're gonna save our money inside this policy and it's gonna grow tax-free. Down the road, we're gonna get hit with an emergency or an opportunity, maybe a chance to buy a business, real estate property, an income-producing asset, and instead of withdrawing from our savings account, we're gonna leverage that asset. We're gonna borrow the insurance company's money and we're gonna invest in that opportunity. Our money is still inside of that policy, compounding, uninterrupted, tax-free, and our money's outside in this investment opportunity. We're going to rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, all while providing a death benefit for our families. Down the road, we're going to retire. Now we retire with a high cash value life insurance policy with a lot of cash. We're going to start taking those policy loans again, but this time we're never going to pay them back. When I say never, I mean we're going to pay them back with the death benefit when we die, and our families are going to get left with the rest completely tax-free.
0: For more information, visit www.controllingcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines.